Welcome to another episode of our podcast series called Sharing Hope. We do appreciate you uh, listening in. And today we are speaking with Lacey Patterson. Lacey's son, Dylan, was born in 2012 with HLHS when her son developed feeding struggles shortly after. Lacey became actively engaged in promoting awareness and advocacy within the pediatric cardiac community. She has been a parent partner with NPCQIC since 2016 as both a QI project co-leader and more recently as a member of the NPCQIC leadership team. Lacey has also been very involved at the local level, serving her local children's hospital as an ambassador on several advisory councils. Lacey joined the board of directors for Sisters by Heart and NFP that empowers and supports patients and families affected by single ventricle heart defects. In 2019, as the director of Fontaine Families, Lacey is passionate about empowering all CHD families throughout their journey by relentlessly spreading a message of hope and delivering support through education, collaboration, and advocacy. Oh, I want to say thank you for joining me, Lacey. I, sharing the hope. I think that's definitely one of the, one of your things, right? Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be with you today. You're very welcome. I think we may have answered this a little bit with your bio, but this is the question I always kick this off with. And, and that is, why did you become interested in the HLHS problem? Yeah, I became interested in it when it hit me at you know, 100 miles an hour. You know, at the time that my son was diagnosed, I was still pregnant and I... I had never even heard of HLHS before. In fact, I probably couldn't have named a single <laughs> congenital heart defect at that time. So once my son got through the inner stage and got closer to that, you know, after the Glen and to his first birthday was when I started realizing that there was probably a lot of opportunity to not only share my experience with others, but also that there might, might be improvement areas that we could focus on. And what spurred me on was the feeding challenges, right? I thought there's going to be a better way than what I have here to work with. And so that's kind of where it all started for me. I think that was the spark. That was the passion. It's just grown since then. All right. What is the NPCQIC or National Pediatric Cardiology Quality Improvement Collaborative? <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot to say, which is why we, uh, we even shorten it further to just NPC. It's a network. I think there's over now 60 care centers that are members, and they're not only across the U.S., but also we have some Canada and the U.K., I believe, as well. And NPC Partners with Sisters by Heart, as you mentioned in my bio, a not-for-profit organization that seeks to support families and patients with uh, single ventricle heart disease. So the NPC Partners with them, as well as um, families of people with HLHS, the patients themselves, clinicians, researchers to improve outcomes for children with single ventricle heart disease. And they're doing that through a focus in mortality reduction and uh, improvements in quality of life. So it's a pretty big uh, registry. Earlier this year, we enrolled our 5,000 patient into the registry. So that really makes it by far, uh, I think, the largest known uh, registry of infants uh, with HLHS. And not only is it so large, it's, it's also done with transparent sharing, right? So centers are transparent with each other about their results, about their outcomes. And that really allows the collaborative to drive forth quality improvement initiatives and research and so on and so forth to really dramatically improve mortality and, and quality of life. 
The other thing that I think is really unique about NPC, and I'm, I'm not in any other collaboratives, so I, I, I can't speak with a, a lot of experience, but the parent partners and now more recently, the patient partners are a really big part of it. Around 17 to 20% of our learning session attendants are parents. They come, they share, and it's not only welcome, but it's encouraged. And so I think that's really shaped the collaborative's focuses on certain things specifically. I know for a fact, quality of life since I've been involved. Okay. So that's a good segue into the next question is why did you become involved in NPCQIC? As I mentioned before, it started with my son's feeding struggles. He had a feeding tube. And after the Glen, we were told that we would just get to this magical promised land with rainbows and unicorns, or my son was going to wake up post-op and just chow down on cheeseburger or something. That didn't happen. There was no magic land. And further, when I started looking for support with my local center, I just wasn't finding what I felt my son really needed in terms of support and finding people that, while very caring and well-meaning and educated providers, were just kind of fish out of water when it came to this. And then I started realizing I wasn't alone. So I had, through the community, connected with a few people, specifically Stacy Len, who's the president and founder of Sisters by Heart. And I reached out to her and I said, hey, you know, uh, this has been a real struggle for us. And I hear other people are struggling too. I want to get involved in making this better way, you know. And so she directed me to the NPC. And it started there in 2016 when I stood up in front of 300 people after lunch and started talking about my son throwing up on the tube and how miserable it was. And from there, you know, there were just became opportunities to get involved on that front, you know, with that issue. Um, and so from there, it's kind of snowballed into other things right now. I'm still active in that, but I'm also very interested in the gross motor side, the neurodevelopment piece, and also the emotional health and well-being, because those are now more of the struggles that we're facing now and realizing that there's a lot of opportunity for improvement there. I remember the 2017, the talk about tube weaning, and it was very much of, oh, thank goodness we're not alone. I could echo your struggles bit by bit. You know, it was the same deal. There was no path to get them off. There was no real way to do it. And we kind of just in the dark figured out and got them off. And it's just such a dramatic change in life. There's a good word for it. I can't remember what it is, but it's quality of life. And and the the whole family quality of life changes so dramatically when you get off the tube. Right. Families across like all cultures and across all countries the sharing of meals and the sharing of your family traditions through sharing with meals, the type of foods that you eat and share together, the meal time, getting back to the dinner table, that's all kind of stripped away, right? So it is a huge impact in quality of life, having a child that's feeding to you dependent. And while the tube's also always necessary, there's certainly a lot of, you know, it comes to a point where the medical reason for the tube being placed is no longer, but now you're you're in you stuff with tube dependency. So it's been really personally rewarding, not only helping families through just sharing my experience, but also working with some really amazing clinicians across the country who really heard that message, saw it in their own patients, and committed themselves to 
making a difference and driving improvement. And so just recently, we launched the two-wing toolkit, which is the first of its kind, which kind of takes providers kind of step-by-step through the research-backed proven method to address tube dependency in these kids and how to get them off feeding tubes. And I think then, then, you know, spoiler alert, there's going to be a paper coming, really exciting research stuff around that topic. And, you know, that wouldn't be possible without that kind of commitment and the passion of these providers that really saw it through to where it is today. So I'm extremely honored to have been um, like a part of that group and um, help co-create that together with them. Well, I'm absolutely certain it's made an impact. In yeah. part because I know it made an impact on our lives. So <laughs> yeah. I'm absolutely yeah. certain it has. <laughs> yeah. Connecting with the parents, I've made so many great friendships and things because, you know, they say, what's that saying that, you know, friendship is born at that moment where you go, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. <laughs> and so you really connect with these, you have connected with so many people just based on that alone, you know, where we realize that, uh, we share a lot of similar things and struggles and we understand so much of where you know, each other is coming from. Very much so. So talk a little bit about NPCQIC. What is sort of the short-term goals? What are your long-term goals? What's sort of the tactical plan, strategic plan, however you want to put it? What does the future look like? The future looks bright. The guiding light of NPC has always just been that overreaching reduction mortality improvement quality of life. During the, I think it was told to me because I wasn't there when NPC started, but it was said that, you know, kind of a group of uh, clinicians got together and, and thought, hey, I wonder if we can improve mortality interstage and also improve growth at the same time. And I think that there were probably a lot of people that were like, no, nah. but they did. And even to a point of significant reduction in the interstage mortality from around like nine or so percent to five. So I think that though, as we we start answering more of the mortality issue and we start having more of these kids surviving, we start running into a lot of those quality of life issues, running into those more like, you know, like I mentioned, gross motor neurological, we're learning a lot. And we also focus on a lot of the emotional health piece, not only for the patient, the parents and the families, but also those living with HLHS themselves and realizing that not only in this realm, but just kind of in society in general, we don't really, you know, stigma around mental health issues. We don't talk a lot, people aren't comfortable, so on and so forth. So I've had a pretty heavy focus on, on that, as well as recently more like socioeconomic inequities in care. Like back to the two-weaning, you know, back before this two-weaning toolkit, really the only resource families had to get their kid too weaned was to go and spend thousands and thousands of dollars on a private company that insurance wouldn't cover. That made two weaning really inaccessible for those without those financial means. You know, and they're looking at other inequities as well. So there's also going to be, and you know, it's how it shapes out, but the Fontaine Outcomes Network has been also created, which is essentially doing the same work as NPC with the same kind of focus but specifically for those with Fontan uh, circulation. So is there going to be a mashup of that in the future? That's all left to be seen. But I think a lot of us, me included, acknowledge that there's a lot in the middle, right? The NPC is up to one year of age and really stops there. And then the Fontan Outcomes Network is picking it up later down the road where the average child getting their Fontan is between like three and four years of age. I've lived through it. (laughs) 
<laughs> there's a lot of stuff between one and four that happens. And I look back on our time and realize that there were definitely some things that had I known things or had I been aware of things, maybe I would have done things a little differently, maybe gotten a little intervention sooner on certain things and so on and so forth. So how that shapes out, I couldn't say that's good. It is something that it is brought up and acknowledged. And me as just personally as a parent speaking, apart from being involved in MPC, I hope that there are opportunities to engage in, you know, quality improvement specific efforts in that time frame. That would be my dream. My, if I had a magic wand, what I'd like to see happen. Okay. That's um, novel. I'm going to call it novel because I, I've talked with a couple of MPCQIC folks. I've talked with a couple of Fawn, Montana Outcome Networks folks, and um, nobody's really talked about that, that space between the one year and, you know, when the Fontana Outcomes Network picked up. And I think in my mind, even in my mind, just, you know, five minutes ago before you mentioned that, <laughs> I was thinking, you know, NPC goes and then Fawn picks up. But you're right. There is this free zone that's not covered. Hmm. Good. <laughs> I'm glad there are folks thinking about it. That's good. Yeah. Somebody once said, somebody at an NPC meeting, and they got it from somewhere else, but it was a quote that said, Instead of just standing here and pulling people out of the river, why don't we go back upstream and figure out why they're falling in in the first place? And so we got to that with like the tube weaning thing, right? Where we were looking at all these kids with all this tube dependency and all these issues. And we thought, well, what if we went back earlier and changed some of the things that we did early on? And maybe that would impact how many of these kids are like this at this point. And when we talk about the early work of the interstage mortality and the change packet that's just been done, and we talk about like how significantly they improved growth and how significantly they they reduced mortality, a lot of that was at let's grow at all costs, right? Because it had to be, right? Because that's important. If you don't survive, then okay. So you have to be. So and I think that you know my theory is some of that just that that tunnel grow 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 mentality and then just kind of let it go. We lost a lot of opportunities on the way. And that's why one of the quality improvement projects right now is the pre-op oral feeding project, which seeks to expand, improve the number of children that are fed pre-op to stage one uh, palliation surgery. And we think there's like that, that theory, right? Or we can kind of look through our registry and see with our numbers that it does look like it makes a difference later on as far as fed at first birthday orally. So, and it's the same thing with this. Right. So it's like you start to pick up at the Fontan. We might be solving problems that we could have solved if we did more in that space in between. So me personally, that's I would like to see some focus shift into that area. But of course, it's not as easy as just blinking your eyes like I dream of genie and make it happen. So there's a lot. It's a, it's a massive amount of work to run the collaborative to do the registry data. You know, clinicians and a lot of time inputting the data and, and going through that. So we'll see what develops, but I think there's a lot of opportunity for sure. Yeah. I know that for me as an engineer and a long time data nerd, I'm extraordinarily excited about Fawn getting the registry together and put together. And especially with NPC QIC and Fawn working together, because I think you can build a lot of, I think the buzzword these days is machine learning tools. Uh, but ultimately, it's just data analysis tools to help track best outcomes, best results, given certain interventions, dependent on when you apply them, how they're applied, and how things work. 
So I am very excited on that front in part because I like data. You know, there's an old saying about engineers. It's like, I've got enough data is something an engineer has never said. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, you know, this is a new world for me. And my, my background was, you know, I worked for 15 years in business to business sales in the international transportation logistics field. Um, You know, helping large corporations or small corporations ship their goods kind of worldwide. So <laughs> coming into QI and a medical field, and it's really been, but I went through a lot of process improvement projects <laughs> in the business world. So that's kind of helped out. But yeah, it's all, it's all new to me here. This is, you know, anything I have any formal training or education in, but it's been fun nonetheless and rewarding. What are your hopes? Like, what are you hoping to accomplish? And then maybe we've already covered that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I was, as far as what would I like to see? You know, in the future, what do I think would be impactful for families like ours when it comes to that? Yeah, we covered it with that space between the, the NPC ending at first birthday and the, and the on picking up. My hope is that just through, you know, being involved where I am, that, you know, I can just use it to kind of keep those on the path behind me from being totally blindsided by the same things that I was. I feel like, you know, learning from your experience is one thing, but it feels like a complete waste not to share what you've learned with others, lost opportunities. So I kind of feel a sense of responsibility to kind of keep doing that to help shape the future because there's people that are ahead of the path of me that I'm extraordinarily grateful to, both families and then even people living with HLHS themselves that are doing that. So I guess my hope is that that continues. My hope is that, you know, we can continue to reduce mortality. Um, and people say, oh, I'll never be zero, right? Of course, but we get it as low as possible and continue to focus on those quality of life issues because I think there's still a lot of work left to be done and uh, a lot of opportunity to improve things. The longer we go, the more we learn. And, 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 and I'm grateful for organizations like NPC that are using those learnings to to translate it into, you know, making outcomes better and quality of life better and so on and so forth. Given your involvement with Sisters by Heart, would you be okay with us shifting gears and talking about them a little bit? Sure. Yeah, we can do that. All right. So what is Sisters by Heart? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Sisters by Heart is simply put like a group of, of moms, how they started. Now we've changed a little bit. But it was a group of moms that kind of came together um, during their journeys. And since we've included patients as part of our board of directors as well. So now it's not only parents, but patients. And the mission is to just support families affected by single ventricle heart disease and just give hope, education, promote awareness and support our families. And we do that through a couple different missions, if you will. We have both our newly diagnosed and we send out our care packages to the newly diagnosed family. And we also have our Fontan care packages, which go to patients awaiting their Fontan operation. That's my realm right there with the Fontan family. So every care package that is received by a child awaiting their Fontan, it's here I am in this room, (laughs) packaging it up. And sending it out to them. But we also created some like educational series. We just recently did one on ADHD and executive functioning deficits. 
where we collaborated with providers, clinicians, kind of across a few different centers that are familiar in this area that can really talk through some of the nuances about it and the instances on it and what can be done about it. I think that, I don't know if all of us on the board, but a large percentage of us, you know, it's, you know, these are issues and things that are affecting us and our kids. And we realize there's not a lot of resources or information out there. So trying to like fill that void where there's an opportunity for education, awareness, giving families meaningful tools and resources that they can use to improve life for their kiddos. So that's, that's Sisters by Heart in a, in a nutshell. It's a wonderful group of ladies and um, just so in awe and inspired by so many of them so often. So it's been, that's been really rewarding to be a part of Sisters by Heart. Okay. Why did you want to be involved in Sisters by Heart? Well, I mean, I never really, it hadn't occurred to me, but I've been to several NPC meetings and interacted with so many of the Sisters by Heart board members. And I think it was around the time that I was also getting more engaged with leadership of the NPC and then Sisters by Heart, since they have a partnership with them. It felt like a, a natural fit. And uh, Stacey Lynn had reached out to me and asked me, you know, they are needing to grow the board and if I would be interested in the opportunity to serve Fontan families. And of course, I thought it would be a tremendous opportunity to, and another platform to help support families and connect with other families. Um, and also maybe even educate myself a good deal because, I, you know, my son had his Fontan three or four years ago, but I still learning things every day. So I felt like I would be in a good position knowing kind of maybe what the burning issues and questions families have, like, you know, their Fontan coming up or living with the Fontan. Well, I, I do want to say thank you personally for the package because I'm pretty sure we got one of those <laughs> prior to, to Micah's surgery. Well, okay, since, if you got one, it was, so it was since, what is it, since 2019. It was any time after 2019. <laughs> Before that, it was done by Amy Bennett, one of our founding members. But yeah, it's fun. My husband always complains about how much stuff is stored in our closet, but that I don't mind. <laughs> good, good, good. So do you have a personal goal with Sisters by Heart or is there something you're, you want to accomplish? Gosh, that's a, that's a good question. I think as far as what I'd like to accomplish, I guess, is just continue supporting the mission. I like, I really enjoyed the series that we did with the ADHD executive functioning. It felt really exciting to, to kind of put together those sorts of resources for our patients. And honestly, our, our, our board of director, her name is Raven Norris. She, she was the one that really went around and collaborated, put it all together and did a phenomenal job at it. I kind of say like, that's kind of what my hope for me and how I can be involved is continue to kind of be a part of bringing those things to patients and families as resources, but just remain connected to the patients, the families, the other parents out there and continue to find ways to be supportive. And I guess in a way, sometimes I feel like not that I'm paying it back, but it was, they were, Sisters by Heart was so monumentally supportive to me in the very beginning where I felt very alone and I was terrified and the care package arrives and all of a sudden I don't feel as alone and, and terrified anymore. You know, I've got a bottle of 
hand sanitizer with a label on it. And I've got to keep your hands off the sign. And <laughs> like, I'm going to do this, you know? And so for me, I was like, uh, I just knew how important it was, right? And so when there became this opportunity to join, I was like, how could I turn this down? Like, this is so important. And I know how important it is. So I'm going to go be a part of it and help out in any way I can. Good. That's good. Okay. So this is a question and you're not the only one that gets asked this, but it's the question I, I, I ask everybody and maybe it's a little harder, but so I'm part of a lot of the HLHS communities on like Facebook and, and some of the other social medias. There are a lot of great heartwarming stories, but there's a lot of not heartwarming stories. And there's plenty of individuals who get on there and said, I've just been diagnosed. And my, whoever the cardiologist I talked to said, like, there's no, there's no hope. There's no chance. If you encountered someone like that, maybe someone listening, what would you say? I would tell them that I know how they feel, that I felt hopeless. I was terrified of what the future would look like beyond questioning whether or not my son would survive. I questioned whether or not his quality of life would be a life worth living. I wondered if our quality of life, I selfishly thought about myself in that moment. What would my quality of life be like too? And I was convinced I couldn't do it. I think I told my husband at the time, I said, I'm not one of those moms that's going to raise money and do walks and be you this know, advocate. You know, I, like, I don't know that person. I kind of felt like, why is God doing this to me? He knows I can't do that. I'm just not like this. I just can't. But when I started, like, again, reaching out to others and finding those, I actually threw, what was it? The baby board or something that everybody was all snarky on <laughs> but i met this fellow mom her baby was going to be due you know at the time like a week before my son and we found each other and we connected and i would have never gotten through that time with like out her you know we kind of supported each other so i think i would tell anyone to find somebody who understands what you're going through and talk to them and you know you know, share your fears and, and it is okay to be afraid. But there's a lot of hope. If you looked at my son today, you, you'd never know. And I just couldn't imagine, you know, either a world without a minute or if I had given up all hope or the quality of life, the life that he lives today is, you know, it's a very full life. You know, I think, you know, somebody a long time coined the term, you know, half a heart but not half a life. And so, there's a lot of people out there going through struggles and they have things we all do, but we get through. So I like, I, know I tell parents that, that I've met with that have had a diagnosis or going through it. You know, I always tell them like, you can do this. Your kid can do this. You're, you're going to, you're going to get through this. There's a lot of hope, a lot of resources, a lot of support, a lot of education. And even more so now than I have, I'm pretty confident that, you're going to get through it and it's going to be okay. That's a tough question though. Because I remember how it felt and I'll never forget it. But, you know, I'm better for going through it. And they say that this journey, there's so many unexpected blessings that come of it, you know, and you, you become part of a community that you really never wanted to join, but you're so blessed to be a part of it and the way it can change you and how much beauty and how much grace and how much things can be found through that just unexpected, unwanted 
connection, but it's changed me in, in ways that, you know, obviously I would like to go back and have my son be born cardiotypical and no issues and no health struggles, but I can't do that. So, but I'm glad for all the, the people that I've met and the, the change, the way I've changed. So there's beauty in broken pieces. Well, thank you for answering the question. I know it's, it's kind of the curveball one, but I find the responses have all been wonderful. And yours was, I think, extra wonderful. Oh, <laughs> having nice. to hear it. So I don't even know what I said. I just kind of blacked out and started talking. Uh, you, you did good. <laughs> <laughs> you did fine. Can I ask what your, what your local care center is? Yeah. We, uh, we just recently relocated. We were in New Orleans where my husband is from and we recently relocated to the Jacksonville, Florida area. And so I'm very excited because I've partnered with this particular cardiologist on a lot of projects uh, within DC. But, and so now our care center will be uh, US Chance, Gainesville. Okay. Yeah, I grew up in Florida. So it's always oh, interesting. Really? Yeah. What part? So Melbourne, Palmate. Uh, yeah, my parents used to live uh, in the Merritt Island and stuff. So I've lived in Florida. I say my whole life. I've moved. I, this is my third time moving back. So I feel like I'm a, I'm a Florida native. It's how I am with Texas. This is my third time in Texas. <laughs> it's like, I can't tell, yeah, so my husband, like, we can't, I'm not going to move back here again. Like, we're just going to have to stay because I'm going to move away and then I'll move back here again. And I just, moving is, let's just cut out all the middle steps so we don't have to move, like, unnecessarily. Yeah. So the last question I usually do is, and I'll, I'll give you a choice because you just moved recently, is best place to eat. So you, you can you can choose Jacksonville, you can do New Orleans, you can do both. I'll I'll leave it open. But best if I'm there, where am I gonna go? Well, I mean, that's like a trick question. I have to have like a C. <laughs> like if I go anywhere in, to eat, I'd go somewhere in Spain. Uh, like that's I think the best thing is. But um no, I mean New Orleans is known for their their culinary. And so I would pick New Orleans to eat all day long. Not to say there's not good Jacksonville because there is, but get some etouffee, some jambalaya, big fried shrimp po'boy, some mokolata. Now, you know, it's like, that's good food. That's good eating. Yeah, I'm hungry now. <laughs> yeah, <thinking> about it. <laughs> <laughs> me too. It was lunchtime. Yeah, yeah. And it's cold, um, enough to, it's cold enough to be gumbo weather again, so... It is. It is gumbo weather, but um, yeah. So that's, and when it drops temperatures in New Orleans, they're like gumbo weather alert. So yeah, we'll be having gumbo soon. I know that. Very good. Very good. So I, I realized we kind of launched into this and I didn't tell you at all about myself or who you're talking to. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh shoot, I, I did it again. And I have a tendency to do that. That's so okay. do, do you have any questions for me? Would you like me to give you my short bio? <laughs> Yeah, no, no worries. Yeah, I was, I was hoping you could tell me just a little bit more about the foundation and kind of brief history and kind of what you've done to date and what you plan to do or hope to do for the future. Okay. So Micah Mason Foundation, named for my son, Micah. He was born in 2015, November 2015. And we didn't know. We found out day three after birth. We got lucky. Lucky, grace-filled, however you want to put it. We were going to go home on day two uh, after... He was born from the hospital, but insurance covered three days. And I was like, sure, we'll take the free babysitting, you know, while we try and catch up on sleep. <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, waking up that morning, 
on the third day, Michael was gone. The nurses had taken him. He had turned blue. They ran all the echocardiogram and they figured it out and came in and told us we transferred to the children's hospital. And he was in a coma until really until New Year's. His first surgery was in Norwood was <laughs> eight days after birth. And then after that, he was in recovery for, uh, we were in the CICU for a month and then the uh, NICU for a month after that. And he was the, Us too. you know, he was always a great breather. He was a terrible eater. He came off, the, he was de-intubated or whatever they call it real fast, but he never picked up eating. So they gave him a G button. Sounds familiar. Yep. Yeah. We were there for like, it was like 74 days for the Norwood and left with a G2. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, I came back. We were there for a month for the Glen because he had a chlorus infusion, chlorolax. I really hated that because, like, he's stuck there because he's got fluid in his chest. But otherwise, he's like him. Like, he's normal. There's nothing. But, um, you know, when you're, when you're stuck in the hospital, there's a lot of time. And I spent a lot of my time trying to figure out, you know, what's the future look like, right? We've got these three courses of surgery and everything seems good. And then what's, what's down the road look like? And there was a lot of nothing, static, question marks, not a lot out there. And so started to try and get involved with the various organizations, you know, looked into NPCQIC, looked into a couple other groups that were kind of nascent or out there. And then I was kind of like, well, what can I do? You know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a researcher. I'm good at talking to people. <laughs> and, I'm, and I've proven in the past I'm good at giving, getting people to give me money. So, <laughs> hey, I'm terrible at that. Yeah. I'm terrible. <laughs> what I decided to do was was form the foundation, and the kind of the goal behind the Micah Mason Foundation is is as a support organization. There's a lot of good, great organizations out there in PCQIC. Um, you know, the Fontana Outcomes Network is starting up HeartWorks, which used to be the Todd Karen Wanak Foundation out of the Mayo Clinic, but they've kind of pivoted. And there's a couple others out there, as well as every every children's hospital has their own sort of internal programs. What we could do is support them. Children's Heart Foundation, that's the other one. So we've slowly built partnerships with various organizations out there. So we have a like a formal partnership with the Children's Heart Foundation. We have a named fund in Micah's name. We're slowly filling with money. And once we hit a, you know, our, our target, we'll be able to name a specific research project and say, do that. And they have a they have a cool kind of setup for that. We're in the process of kind of forming partnerships with with Fawn and and NPCQIC is more of a here's money do do what you do <laughs> kind of right. a thing because it's not it's not my goal to run a research program or to do you know if if there's a desire for you know input from us for quality improvement stuff like the the board two of the people on the board are. are Myself and, and another guy, we're big on data and we're big on user interface stuff. And so if there's a need for advice on any of that stuff, we're, we're very willing to, to give it. But for the most part, the organization is there for funding purposes and then for cheerleading. So this project, Sharing the Hope, kind of comes out of that piece of it. So there's the, there's the support on the financial realm and then there's the support in the, we want to get the word out to parents. In my head, what I want is a parent gets the diagnosis, they search it on Google, they find a YouTube series or something, and it's these. And it's it's something that says, you know, this is what it is, here's everything going on in this, here's the hope, here's what you're going to go through, um, here's the challenges. There's no void, like there's no space to be terrified. 
I guess is the, <laughs> it's the, is the goal. And so that's, that's, that's the goal behind uh, this series is to provide um, just another space for that. Right. And that's, you know, like what the NPC is doing too. Is, you know, it's like, there's so many people out there, them, you, all these people that are working, continually working to make things better, to make them be more, make more survival, more quality of life, more and more and more. So like, and nobody's just resting on what we think works okay. And then there's all these research projects that are so absolutely, you know, necessary to take it even further. Because we, the Fontan circulation is crap. You know, it sucks. It absolutely that. sucks. And we all know it does, right? And so they're not just being like, here's your Fontan, go and enjoy your liver failure. It's, we're going to make this better. We're going to figure out how to make a better final circulation or a better thing. We're going to go grow a heart in like a lab and put it like crazy wild stuff that's beyond any futuristic science thing you've ever imagined. But it's happening and it's happening because of the generosity of people helping to fund it and the awareness people like you were bringing to kind of raise funds and direct them towards that sort of research because it's certainly, we want to make this less than perfect, right? So I think that's great what you're doing. And, you know, a big thank you to those that have supported the Micah Mason Foundation and given, directed the money to go to these important things because it is so incredibly needed. So that's great what you're doing. What a wonderful way to take your your experience and turn it into something, again, something that has so much beauty and, and is so important and helps so many people. That's the plan anyways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was, like you said, you know, you do this because you're good at, you know, you're good at talking and you're good at getting money. Nobody would ever put me in charge of any kind of fundraising because I'd be the worst, you know, I'd be like, oh, um, do you think maybe, I mean, it's okay if you don't want to, but, you know, but yeah, that's me. But, you know, so it's like, but what I, what I realized I was good at is I'm good at just having a lot of strong opinions (laughs) and and I'm not afraid to go and share my strong opinion with somebody else. Right. So I think I took my, just my tenacious demeanor and channeled it into being a little bit more productive and meaningful, but by basically being like, no, this needs to be better. And I have a lot of opinions about it. Let me share them with you. And that's how I see myself out there. And I'm grateful to everyone who's listened to every opinion I have. <laughs> no, this is fun. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And I, and I look forward to seeing you and, and everyone else that might be listening and planning to attend at the, uh, at the NPC learning session next month. It's going to be great to see everybody again. Yeah, very excited in yeah. person. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just want to say thank you very much for joining us. And I really appreciate all you do and what you do for NPC QIC and Sisters by Heart and uh, for the whole HLHS community. Yeah, pleasure's all mine. Thank you for what you're doing as well. Thank you very much, Lacey. Thank you again for joining us, dear listener, for this episode of Sharing the Hope, the Micah Mason Foundation. I hope you enjoyed our interview with Lacey Patterson and our discussion about her work with Sisters by Heart and NPCQIC. You can find Sisters by Heart at sistersbyheart.org on the web and you can find NPCQIC at npcqic.org also on the web if you'd like to get involved with either of those organizations please head to their websites and find out more about how you can help if you'd like to support the podcast or the Micah Mason Foundation in general 
head to micahmasonfoundation.org and click on the donate button. We appreciate you joining us. I'm Patrick Mason with the Micah Mason Foundation. Thank you.